Hello and welcome to Emerging Excellence. I'm your host, Felicity Fury, CEO and founder of We Aspire. Today on the show, we've got my co-chair, co-host, our local wisdom worker and CEO, Brett Bassett, CEO of QLeaf. Hey, Brett, how are you? Hey, Felicity, I love being called the wisdom worker. It just means I'm old. I'm keen to get your wisdom today in the conversation. And we are joined by a very special guest, Tanya O'Shea. You are an inspirational leader. I have loved learning about your leadership journey. And we met a couple of years ago and it was through doing an event in Bundaberg. And we reached out to, to people we knew in the area and said, who should we get involved in this event? And your name came up several times and you're really someone who's admired in the local community and I can see why. You've had a really interesting journey from front office support supervisor to managing director and leadership seems to be a bit of a pattern for you in your career. I'd love to kick things off with finding out if something leadership was something you aspired to or it kind of just happened along the way. Thanks, Felicity. It is really lovely uh, to be here. So thanks so much for the invitation. I would not at any point say uh, that I ever thought that my journey would end up where it has today. It was, wasn't was a path that was carefully curated and people, it's interesting because when I talk about uh, my story to people and where I've come to today, people are really surprised and I sort of go, oh, it, it feels like, I was saying earlier, it feels like a bit of a train wreck. I left school. It was, I went to uni. I dropped out of uni and I was having too too good a time, I guess. And I worked in a for-profit for about 10 years and I had my first child and it was at that point in time, it was a bit of a turning point for me that I went, if I continue to go down this road, I I'm either going to have to have 15 children to stay on maternity leave for the rest of my life or or I'm going to have to choose a different career because I cannot continue to do what I'm doing. And at the time, I didn't really understand what it was. There was this ongoing friction within me that uh, I would turn up to work and it was like, I just don't want to be here. Uh, But at the time, I didn't realise that it was this complete values misalignment and I've only learned that lately, um, or I guess later on in life, um, as I've progressed in working in the not-for-profit space, that I've realised that this is what I was meant to do. This is what I'm truly passionate about. And again, you know, I, I started with this organisation back in 1999. Within a month of starting here, uh, I started in the front office. I took a, a role there. Um And within a month of starting, we lost a major contract, went from 65 staff to 20. And I thought, what have I done? Um, My goodness, um, what have I signed up for in this world? Because I really didn't know a whole lot about not-for-profits. I didn't understand what it was like to be homeless or to live in poverty. Um, I had been so fortunate. I had grown up with food on the table, a roof over my head. I had great parents, you know, who um, provided. And we weren't um, we weren't cash flush by any means. However, we never struggled. Mum and dad got us where we needed to be. We played sport. We were included in society. Um, we never at any point felt disadvantage or exclusion. So so I didn't understand what not-for-profit world was like. Um, but within a month of joining, I learned pretty quickly <laughs> um, that it was going to be a bit of a rough road ahead. Brett, you've worked in the not-for-profit sector and I know you've been thinking about leadership from that perspective. 
How have you seen the differences between not-for-profit and, and for-profit and what's your perspective on it? Look, I I absolutely um, get where Tanya's coming from. It's funny, Tanya, you said that you, you left uni. I got kicked out of uni before I graduated for a similar reason. I was having too much fun. And the reason that I'm here today... Um, you know, my second CEO gig, having sat on a couple of boards is because I'm a failure. And so that's, I think that's a really important thing for me to start with. But I think at, at the values piece is a, is a fascinating one. I've, I've worked in public service on and off for about 25, nearly 30 years now. And one of the reasons I love working for the public service is because it's that service piece. It's that giving back. And I think in my in my not-for-profit experience, you know, running a, a very large charity on the board, it was that service piece that kept giving, coming back to me. But you are so right about this. The, it can be a really tough sector, not-for-profit, particularly when you are the one who are making the decisions that impact people's lives, either having to let people go or having to cut some services, for example, because you're not having the funding. And one of the things that is often, I think, forgotten in the not-for-profit service is that a lot of not-for-profits rely on funding, whether it's philanthropic or whether it's government funding, right? And and that, what I think that does, Felicity, for me in respect of, the, of my thinking about the not-for-profit is it is a stressor that leaders in not-for-profits often wear. It's that, how do we make sure that we've got this long-term sustainability to make sure that we can continue to, to, to deliver the services that we must? And Tanya, no doubt you would have experienced that. Oh, it feels like a daily it feels like a daily challenge and i guess organizationally there have been government funding reductions there's been changes of government which been bring changes in funding for us we had a flood um, so we've had two floods in Bundaberg 2011 2013 uh, the 2013 was significant for us so Australia Day 2013 I rocked up here couldn't get near the building because we were inundated. So we had 1.1 metres of water uh, through our building at that point. So at that point in time, again, another another turning point because it was like, I've got to rebuild a building. We've just lost some major government funding the year before. Um, we need to do things differently. And it was really looking at our business, knowing that we needed to create jobs, but businesses were closing because of the flood. Now we employ, we we find people jobs, and for us it was about well, how do we start creating more jobs within our community? You know, at a time when when it is really hard, businesses are doing it tough. So for us in 2014, it was about okay, well, let's go and create more enterprises. Let's have a look at the social enterprise space. We already had one. Uh, we run a material recovery facility in conjunction with our local council and we then tested and trialed and I do not I do not do this we tested and trialed five different enterprises all at once um, I do not recommend that to anyone um, because at a time when we were trying to rebuild uh, trying to find money in the budget and then trying to you know test and trial all these enterprises it put a lot of stress on my staff. So I don't encourage anyone to do five at once. Um, but geez, it taught us a lot. And during that time, we let, um, we worked through a period of a couple of years and, and just 
just seeing what happened within that that time, could we create an independent revenue stream, so independent of government? Could we create jobs for some of the most vulnerable in our community? Uh, we had a jam making business. I bought a lure, a fishing lure making machine. We uh, started a cleaning business. We bought a car detailing business and this tiny little 1.5 tonne a month laundry. And we tested them over that two years. And at the end of it, we parked a few and we decided to actually build a laundry. Now, I've never built a laundry before, a commercial laundry. Um, but we went on a bit of a research validation, you know, a bit of testing in the market. And um, we today, in 2016, actually, we, we built a $2.8 million laundry and we now employ over 30 people. So we've, we've always looking to do things differently. And, and how can we, if we start losing opportunities in the marketplace or in the labour market, how can we then start to lead change that, that needs to happen? So, so Tanya, how are overall of those different trials and tribulations, wins and losses, et cetera. What's the, what's the one value, leadership value, if any, that you, you stuck to? And I mean, you know, this is for emerging leaders, but resilience is obviously a really big part of being a leader. Do you have one value or one mantra or something that helps keep you true to where you're going as a leader? Yeah. So for me, um, it is about authenticity. It's about I, every day I'm turning up. My people know what they're getting every day. So I have a rule around moodiness. I don't, I don't do moodiness. I know that we all go through that, but when we're turning up for our people, we're showing up, um, you know, in the best way that we can, and but in a truly authentic way. So when Part of that, I guess, means bringing the vulnerability. Uh, it's about having the real, open, frank conversations uh, because your people read it on you. You know, don't mm. think that you're hiding it from them um, because the mask that you wear, it always comes down and your people will always see that. So for me, it's about being authentic. It's about being real to people. Um, and sometimes when you're having a tough day, you go, hey, yeah, you know, it, it's a it's a bit of a struggle street today, um, but I'm here for you. What do you need? You know, let's let's get this done. Um, so it's not bringing all of that stuff and putting it on other people. I have this I have this saying. I guess it is a bit of a saying. You know, for our people, we're improving the lives of some of the most vulnerable in our community. And one of our things that our people do so beautifully is that they park their own stuff at the door every day to go and support other people. And for me, I need to be leading that charge. If that's what they're willing to do, then I need to be stepping into that space as well. Yeah, I was listening to a really good... Sorry, go ahead, Brett. No, no, you go, you go for the sleep. This morning, actually, on my morning walk with my two kiddos, I was listening to an interview with an entrepreneur and he talked about intention. And I think that sort of speaks to your point around authenticity. No matter if you have had a bad day or you have been in a bad mood, you can still come with that intention of being that great leader or being you know, that, that's, that strong person for the people in, in the space. And, and what was really interesting about this guy, he was saying that you know, no matter whether you have a high IQ or a low IQ, we're human beings and human beings pick up on that intention. Is there something that resonates with you as well, Tanya, walking in as a leader, that you've got that intention of we can make this big difference no matter kind of what your day looks like, what chaos ensues, you've got that foundational piece for you? Yeah, every day. Absolutely. Every day. We we owe it. You know, we owe it to our community, but we owe it to the people who we're here to support. Um, so, yeah, 100%. We come with intention every day we, and the best of intentions every day. 
We don't always get it right, Felicity, let's face it. Um, we are human beings. Uh, we don't always get it right, but that's our intention. We do our best. It's funny. I've, I've been doing a little bit of reading recently about some leadership stuff, and there's two things I'll say that sort of segue into that. On the vulnerability piece, I was looking at this article from Brene Brown the other night when she was talking about vulnerability, right? And she said everyone needs to be vulnerable, but that doesn't mean you bring all of yourself. You have some control or set some boundaries in respect of what you're willing to be vulnerable about. And I think that that's a really important point, right? Because sometimes when we talk about vulnerability of leadership, it could be a really uncomfortable thing for some people who don't want to bring all of themselves, right? And I think it's okay to say to emerging leaders, in order to lead others, you've got to first lead self. And that means you need to know what you're willing to give and what you're willing to share, right? So I think that's the first thing I'll say. And and the second thing I'll say is that it's never a an ending point on leadership, is it? You know, you can bring the intent all the time. And as you said, Tanya, I loved what you said about, you know, we're human. It has to be an ongoing journey, right? It is practice every day. And uh, leadership is that commitment to practice every day, just like brushing your teeth. Mm. So every day um, for me, just like brushing my teeth, I am stepping out of that door and I have these little um, reminders, I guess. They're just green dots. They're so simple. But that's my reminder of my intention around um, the way that I'm stepping in as a leader um, every day, every day to practice my leadership. So it's a physical practice, is it, for you? Like is, you know, the three dots, you've literally got three dots somewhere that you look at. Yeah, so through transitions. So I've got one above my door. <laughs> I'm looking at it now. I have one above my window um, when I look out just to, sometimes I just look out on the horizon just to um, give my eyes a break, but also from a wellbeing perspective just to get a bit of downtime. Um, but those green dots are my reminder um, that, you know, I'm quite intentional um, in my practice in leadership that every time I go past them, it's just a quick reminder, hey, you're a leader, you know, and some people power pose, I've got dots, I've got green dots, I've got three of them. That's, <laughs> that's, how, that's how I roll. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've spoken a little bit over the podcast series about reflection and I'm a big reflector. I literally reflect every day and every week. What have I done well? What haven't I done well? What do I need to improve, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I love the idea of just a, a reminder. I think that's fascinating. That's that's fantastic. Felicity, what do you think? I love it. I think it's great having those physical reminders and and grounding yourself. I'm going to steal that because I don't have I don't have any dots anywhere. And I think doorways are a good one. I I recently read the third space, and I feel like door handles are a good one for me. When I usually when you go into a meeting, you if you know whether it's at home or in the office, you physically got to touch a door handle. So I often use that to center myself and. As a, let's just think about the other person because it's not an automatic thought for me. I am a human being as well. So the, you know, the number one person in my life is myself because that's how we are wired. So I think just holding a door handle <laughs> probably sounds really silly is a good kind of trigger for my brain to go, okay, how can I make this meaningful for someone else? How can I put the other person first before I think about myself first? And I, I like that tactile stuff as well. And Tanya, what's the what's the the best piece of leadership advice that you've ever got in your life? I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what mine is. Mine is simply, I remember uh, uh, the the first chair of the of, of my last job. He asked me a question on the fifteenth of December two thousand and fifteen, and it was this question: Who's the most important person in your life? 
Now, my immediate reaction was my wife, my son, my family. He said, mate, you're wrong. He said, if you're not the best that you can be, how can we expect that you're going to lead others? So that was that was really a, a fantastically important question for me in my leadership and life journey generally. Do you have a, a similar story like that that you'd be willing to share or some advice? I love that. Oh, I feel like feel like I can't measure up to that. Um, thank you for going first, Brett. Um, for me, I guess I am, I, I, and I recognise this in myself now. I probably didn't in my earlier years and my and the earlier part of my career. But the best piece of advice I've had is sleep on it. Uh, I'm emotionally charged, uh, and whilst I've worked on that over many, many years and I now recognize that. So I I can feel it building within me, you know, if I'm in a situation where I'm feeling uncomfortable or whether I've had a conflict of some some sort, I can actually feel it rising somatically. My neck will become red. Um, so the people, you know, who I'm around, they will notice it within me as well. However, now uh, I just wriggle my toes on the ground and I do just create that intentional gap between providing that response. So whether it's an email uh, response and I go, and I feel it and I go, I'm not going to bite on this. I'm going to sleep on that. It might be that I'm having a conversation with someone and I'll feel the rise. And again, I'll create that pause. Now the sleep on it, I guess, uh, at one time was absolutely necessary. I, I needed a, a night to just sleep on it and allow it to, you know, it to just dissipate by the morning and I could wake up in fresh eyes and, and all of that sort of stuff. Now, though, I probably um, only need, you know, even 10 minutes. And sometimes if I'm in that situation and I'll say to the person, hey, I really appreciate your opinion or thanks for the feedback, do you mind if we just uh, have a bit of a break? I'm just going to go and, and grab a cup of tea and let's come back and, and chat about it a bit more. And it just gives me space to just collect myself, regather, take the emotion out of it so that for that person, I am giving them my best. It's not coming with all of that crappy emotional stuff. It is me then, you know, separating that and being able to give them my best at that point in time when potentially, you know, I, I may not be, <laughs> I may not be um, able to turn up at my best just in that moment. So, so that's the best bit of advice that I've been given. Is there ever, oh, my best advice. Gosh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me, Brad. I wasn't thinking, I was listening to what Tanya was saying. Oh. You've put me on the spot. Thinking I'll come back, back to you. I'll come yeah, back come to back to me. I have a question for Tanya that I was going to ask, which you know I think is a lot of your, you know, what I've heard you speak about is this piece of self-care as a leader. And I personally find this really difficult uh, and I really struggle with it, making that time to be focused and on and then having that space. I feel like children has particularly helped me create some space in my life and I'm very grateful for that. You had a moment 10 years ago when you found yourself completely exhausted every afternoon and your GP had some pretty direct advice. What was that? And how did that change your leadership journey and bring self-care into what you do? Yeah. So it was uh, it was pretty frightening at the time. So my GP's advice was if you don't do something different, you are going to have a stroke by the time you're 50. 
absolutely no doubt. So my adrenals, I was I was just caught by three o'clock in the afternoon. I had uh, created an ability to sleep with my eyes open. So in meetings, um, I was actually dozing. I was napping uh, with my eyes open. Uh, one of my team uh, knew whenever it would happen and it was actually happening quite consistently. So my adrenals were just so fatigued that I just had absolutely nothing left by three o'clock in the afternoon. I would um, try and reignite by having that nap and it might only be sort of 10 to 15 minutes or until someone sort of gave me a bit of a kick uh, to, to get me going again. Yeah, but I, I just was absolutely fried. I had nothing left. So in going to the GP in the first instance and him giving me that advice, it just, it, uh, it, yeah, it, it was one of those um, moments where I, I, I went white as a sheet I'm looking at him and I just had nothing. I like, I just had, I thought he, you know, I just thought he would say, oh, you know, go and do this or try this or do this. But to tell me that I was going to have a stroke within the next 10 years, um, it, it gives you a bit of a kick in the butt to go, you've got to go and make some changes. So what did you do? What was kind of, because I feel like often there's the, it's like you're drinking from a fire hose as <laughs> a leader and you don't even, you can't even find the off button because you're so in it. And I don't know, for me, I like, I've had some really tricky burnout situations where I had to say to myself, look, I'm not good in this business. I'm making poor decisions. I, I just have to stop and take two weeks off, which I felt was, I know that I'm really burnt out when my brain can't even work out that I need a break because I'm like, no, but I've got to do all these things. And it's happened to me a number of times and I'm definitely getting better at catching it. But it's, I feel like that when you're in that um, almost crisis point, it's so hard to stop and pause. So how did you navigate that as a leader? Yeah, I think one of the things that we do as a leader, we're always juggling and there's always always so many things that we're trying to do. We're trying to look after ourselves. So I was doing all the right things. I was eating really well. I was doing my exercise. So I'm an early riser. So I was doing my exercise in the morning. I had my two kids. So you know, I had a full-time job, director role. I was studying. So doing all of those things, uh, I was socially engaged. So trying to do everything. Um, and I, I think sometimes when we're told that we need to do something else and as simple as you need to actually take something out or do something differently, it's like another layer. It's like another thing we're adding in. So it's just to, to keep it super simple. We can we can create self-care plans. We can talk about it. Um, we can have the best of intentions, but it's what what we're actually going to do. And sometimes it's just focusing on that one thing, that one thing that we're either going to do differently or sometimes even trickier, we're going to remove. So what is that one thing you can take off your plate that is going to make things less complicated or to get you the recovery that you need? And for me at the time, I didn't understand um, what recovery meant. I didn't understand what that meant to look at your day and break it down and decide how you could better rest. For me, it's sleep. I was getting less than, sometimes less than four hours of sleep a night. And that you can't recover from that. So if you're exercising, even if you're fueling yourself, the exercise load on top of that cognitive load throughout the day, 
you've got nothing. You, you're not actually recovering from that if you're not allowing yourself some rest. So, um, so for me, it was being very deliberate around the sleep. And with children, I'm I'm absolutely in awe of mums trying to juggle all of the stuff because I get it. It's hard. Um, so it, it's about, okay, the kids need to go to bed earlier. I need to go to bed when the kids go to bed. Um, I had this practice of, oh, I need a break. So I'm going to stay up after the kids go to bed and that's going to be my break. And that was the worst thing that I could have possibly done. So I just shifted one thing at the time, Felicity, and that was my sleep practice. I needed more sleep because I knew that would aid my recovery, even though I was still wanted to get up early because I wanted to do my exercise. That was my first thing in the diary. I made sure that when the kids went to bed, that was my cue that I needed to go to bed and get get more sleep um, and, and that I knew would actually assist me with my, with my burnout and my recovery. I'm taking so many notes, Tanya. This is like 101 of what I need to do tonight. I was up until 10.30 doing work between 8pm and 10.30pm last night while the kiddos are in bed because we've now got an eight-month-old as well as our three-year-old. So I am so in that. And yeah, I switched between, oh, I, I need I need a break. I'm going to just watch some Netflix or YouTube or just like, I need some me time. And then two hours later, oh my gosh, I've been on my screen and now I need to sleep. Or I'm going to have some work time and like fit in all those things that I've been trying I get done throughout the day that just never happened so I'm so in the thick of the mum zone um just thank you for your advice Tanya I'm writing lots of notes I, I absolutely feel for you and the, and the thing is um to Felicity I'm just thinking as you're talking there those things that you're doing during that time after the kids go to bed they're they're continuing to wire you um, because you you know you're still in that work zone you're still in that creative zone potentially and that's wiring you so when you actually do go to bed you haven't got that ritual and routine and practice when you're lying there you're still wired and going oh I need to do this and I need to do this tomorrow and oh what about that idea I need to write that down while I've got it so so your brain's still working um, so I guess we think that we're getting more done, um, but it's yeah. really not serving us at the end of the yeah. day. It's like it sets you up for failure for the next day and then it's this continuing ongoing pattern totally. Um, uh, yeah, the cycle. Yeah. You were saying at the beginning of our conversation around that strategic thinking that you were talking you know, around setting up businesses and thinking about things in a different way. Uh, this is more a more personal question. I feel like we're going into Felicity advice. I've taken over the conversation, Brett. Um, but uh, I'd love to know how do you balance it? And you were mentioning earlier juggling as a leader, that long-term strategic view that's going to take time to build, but also kind of the short-term things you need to get done each day because I'm sure setting up a laundry is a very long-term play, but I'm obviously going to have those benefits. How do you navigate the short and long-term and strategic thinking? It, oh, look, I, I think sometimes it's having a really good team around you um, because I'm, I'm not, I'm going to put it all on the table here, I'm not the greatest person to go, oh, let's start this and let's follow it through through every detail. Mm-mm. That's not me. So the great thing is I put beautiful people around me with those complementary skill sets that I'll get it to a point and then they can pick it up and then I can be off thinking about some other stuff uh, that really lights me up and it's, I guess, leveraging my strengths the best 
that we possibly can. So the the strategy piece for me, it, it never stops. You know, there's always stuff that we're looking at um, that we're starting to just pick apart at the seams, but we mightn't be digging in too much into it. Um, and we'll and and sometimes it's just about being patient, right? It's about waiting for the right opportunity. It's about making sure that we're from a competitive advantage play, we're setting ourselves up when the timing is right. I can remember in um in COVID um and this thing kept playing in my head, Tanya, cash is king, cash is king, cash is king. So I just kept every cent that we had, just kept hiving it away, hiving it away, hiving it away, because I knew there was a moment that we could start then moving again, and I just needed to be ready for it. So sometimes it's just having the patience too for when the opportunity is going to be going to come, but it's being ready for that opportunity um, when it's ready to play out. And in the meantime, you're just setting your team up, uh, getting them ready. We we had this moment too during COVID where we were so reactive. So, you know, health directives were changing all the time. The company, um, we needed to change all the time in, in line with those health directives, um, changes in the market. And I noticed my, my team from, a, and this is Sorry, just Tanya's brain and how it works, but my, you know, the team's eyes were down. They weren't looking out into the horizon, looking, you know, into that vision that we had around the next, you know, positioning ourselves and what was going to happen next. And it was like, right, I've got to disrupt this pattern. There's too many eyes down. I need them to start getting their eyes up. And that's when um, we started working with capability development solutions around the thinking of the team. And I needed to shift that thinking. And we introduced um, Thought Code as a, as a model with the team uh, around thinking the pat- as changing the patterns of thinking because I needed to get different action. I needed to get different behaviours um, happening from them during that time. So it's always noticing it's always looking it's always um, looking at the behaviors with you within your team as well to see if there's anything that's shifting that's changing because we've got to be ahead of that all the time we've got to be repositioning the team when they they might be starting to get a bit relaxed a bit comfortable um, a, a little bit complacent uh, as the leaders, we've got to be ready to jump in there and go, hey, guys, okay, I can see what's, you know, I can see what's going on. Hey, we've got this great new opportunity. Uh, we're going to be partnering with Capability Development Solutions. We created this bespoke program. This is what we're going to be doing moving forward. And we have stuck with that program Um Ever since, you know, COVID 2019, we've been working with Claire and it's something that we've regularly done as personal development for the team. So, it, yeah, it's it's just trying to always stay ahead of the curve, Felicity. And as leaders, we can't put our eyes down. We've got to keep our eyes up on what's going on around us within the environment, but also within our team. Let me jump in. So I'm a big believer in leadership is about serving others. Mm-hmm. What's your thought about about that, Tanya? And where have you seen great leadership service, for lack of a better phrase? And what was it that stuck out about that that you know might help our emerging leaders or aspiring leaders think about what type of leader they might want to be? So. Um... I absolutely agree that leadership is about serving others. It's as much as we need to work on self in the first instance um, as leaders and understand ourselves better, it's then about how we're supporting the future of of other leaders. And for me, it's always um, 
I don't know. I've I've always been curious, and I've always been interested in other people's ideas, and and understanding um, how we can bring them to fruition as well, and how that then might have a a flow on or a ripple effect out into the community. And one of the quotes that I've always shared with my team, and we've um, we've always kept. I guess very visible is an Eleanor Roosevelt quote, which is around small minds discuss people, average minds discuss events, and great minds discuss ideas. And that ideas bit, um, we've we've actually embedded it. So if we if we catch people gossiping, if you know talking about other people, that's not the environment that we want to create. And I look to those visionary leaders that are always thinking about ideas, they're being curious about what's happening in the environment around them. How can we better serve our community? What is it? Is there a problem in our community that we need to be supporting? So for us at the moment, it is around um, mental, mental health and wellbeing. So we're advocating strongly in that space. But it's about how do we bring all of our team on that journey with us around that advocating? How do we how do we ensure that there's better services in our community? And it's that's not about bagging the people who are already doing great work in that and they've already got wait lists and they can't take on any more people when people are turning up on that doorstep. It's not about that. It's about going, you guys are doing great work. How can we provide support to us? To, to make a difference, you know, overcome that pa- that pain point in our community. What can we do? So we advocate to the leaders, we go to ministers, we knock on their doors, we create case studies around what we're seeing in the communities. Uh, and for us, that's about how we provide service. Uh, that's about how we start to lead the change that needs to happen. And, I, and I'm hopeful that by that by demonstrating that and by constantly getting them to be curious and challenging what the narratives of other people when they're talking badly, you know, about what others are trying to do or what they're already trying to achieve in the space, let's not get caught up in that. Don't give that more oxygen. Let's instead go, what could we be doing differently? How can we better support those services to create change? Okay. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read out a quote to you. Let's see if you know this quote. The only barriers we have in front of us are the ones we place on ourselves. <laughs> so for those people who might be listening to this as opposed to watching this podcast, there's a, that's a quote on Tanya's wall behind her. Tell us about that quote, Tanya. Yes, it's um, so it, it can be really controversial. I've had people challenge me when they've sat in my room here and go, "Oh, you can see that's come from a privileged white person." Um, and I and I take that on board. But what it is more about is, and, and this is coming from personal experience, I have stopped myself from stepping into spaces because I think I don't have the qualifications to do that. I'd have to do more study. I don't have the experience. Um, no one, no, why would anyone want to listen to me? You know, at the end of the day, I, I've only been with the same organisation for 24 years. I haven't had the vast amount of experience in other organisations that other people have had. So so a lot of that is just me. It's my thinking. And at the end of the day, they're just thoughts. And and a lot of the time we put these barriers in place. No, they're not they're not barriers from anyone else. It's purely from 
the thinking that we have and the self-imposed barriers. So for me, it is more about, it's a, it's a reminder for myself, but it's also every time my team come in here, I want them to be thinking about the barriers that they're imposing on them and on them on themselves. What is actually stopping you? If it's just you, let's move on this. Let's tell me what what we can do to make this happen. I love it. I love. It. I was sitting there and I was thinking, oh God, it's just it's so practical, right? And and it's often it, it that's a role of a leader in some instances, isn't it? It's to it's to change mindset of the people that we're working with. To say it's almost like that. I've I've got a saying. It's a mantra. We we got to challenge the status quo. It, and and that's one thing that I really love doing. It's saying, well, why can't we do it? So rather than saying this is why we can't do it, tell me how we can do it. it it's almost that type of scenario, isn't it? No, oh, absolutely. We've got to be constantly flipping the script um, and yeah. and and just shifting it up a little bit because sometimes we get so entrenched in that thinking that that's that's all we start to know and that's what we start. To believe we just we just keep practicing that same thinking and and then it just becomes a pattern of thinking and, and a belief and that's what our our staff and those people that we're leading they start to see that don't they oh absolutely and yeah i guess sometimes we just get a bit stuck in that don't we it, it become we becomes and sometimes we don't realize that's what it is that's what's creating that stuckness for them uh, and something as simple as that i i forget how many coaching conversations I have in a day because sometimes it is putting the coaching hat on and uh, and just and just challenging they've got their own solutions I know that they know the solu- they they know the answer but it is really just about how can we shift that pattern just to open them up to see something a little bit differently it's already inside them you just got to sometimes unlock it yeah great I feel like I needed to hear that today, Tanya. I feel like this whole conversation, I know that we've got listeners listening to this, but I feel like everything you're saying is like, this is so true for me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Tanya. So much great coaching coming to me. Um, Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you my last question, which is what would people disagree with you about? And I love this question because it, it often uncovers what people are really passionate about. Does anything come to mind for you? Um, <laughs> I don't know. You might you might wipe this. Um, but but people so people would disagree with me when I say to them um, that I haven't got it all together. Um, it, and it's interesting, and it really sounds um, I don't know, like I'm talking myself up, I guess. But but I get a lot of feedback around. Oh, you you seem so together. Really? Do you think like that? Yeah, I absolutely do. I have self-doubt. I have a, a lack of self-belief. Um, I've been with the same organisation for 24 years. I've been in this role for 15 years and I still have these patterns of thinking around who else would employ me? So, so you know, and stepping outside the comfort zone, I think there's this Christopher Columbus quote that um, personally I resonate with around um, you, you don't know what's on the other side unless you step away from the shore or something like that. And and I feel that, you know, I've got this safety. I sometimes feel like there's this safety zone and and stepping outside of that comfort zone uh, is, is truly scary. Um, but other people go, really? You're worried about that stuff? Uh-huh. Yep, 100% I am. So, so you know, confidence. Um, I think people think that I'm super confident and I've got all my stuff together, 
nah, I'm just like anyone else. I have those same, you know, imposing thoughts and imposter syndrome and all of that sort of stuff, just like everyone else. I can definitely relate to that. And uh, this conversation has been inspiring. I feel like emotional is the word because I am just, I just love what you've shared. It's really, really inspired me. And Brad, I can remember my favorite bit of leadership advice, which is from my late mentor, Elsa Shepherd, who passed away early this year. And she told me once that a leader's job is to think. And when she said that, I was when that's the job of a leader and it really has resonated with me over time as I've stepped into being more and more of a leader is just take that pause moment and really think and even create the space you know like you said Tanya put the gossip aside or you know think strategically get your team involved in the stuff that you're not good at and enable yourself to have that space to think so Thank you, Tanya, for giving me a lot to think about today. And I think the mark of a great leader is when you can put someone on the spot and drill them with questions and they're the real deal because they've got the answers. And I feel like you've really brought it today. So we're really grateful. I'm personally very grateful because I've got a whole bunch of things I now am inspired to do from this conversation. And thanks for being such an inspiration, Tanya. And thanks, Brett, for your great questions as well. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tanya.